And so I started praying about it. I started thinking about it. And the more I thought about it, I started thinking through the past years. And going back to 2002, I got to work with the youth group out in Waconia. And then after that, I got to work as the youth pastor, first as a youth leader and then a youth pastor in Watertown. And through the years, I've gotten to work with a lot of teens. I've had a lot of experience with teens. I worked at Minnesota Teen Challenge. I uh, worked at a Christian college. I have teenagers of my own. We have two teenagers, our third, Solomon, who's in the back. He officially joins youth group tonight. So all three of our kids are in youth group. And of course, I've gotten to work with the teens at Mosaic Church the last year and a half. And the more I thought about it, I just kept coming back to this, and I kept feeling like God was saying that I need to speak on what we can learn from teens, what teens can teach us. And it might sound funny, uh, because I'm sure some of you are thinking, what can we actually learn from a teen? You know, teens are the ones that are really growing and developing and learning. But we can learn a lot from teens. And even if you look to the Bible, you can see in the Bible there's countless stories of young men and women who um, God used and who we can learn from their examples, whether it's, you know, David or Mary, the mother of Jesus, or there's countless people. I'm not going to go through the list for time's sake. But I have four questions for you guys before we dive in. And you don't have to write these down. I'm going to go through these quickly. I just want you guys to think about these questions. Okay, first question for you is... Do you want to live boldly for Jesus or for God? Do you want to live boldly? Number two, do you want to be hungry for God's word? Meaning, do you want to have a hunger to read the Bible? Number three, number, number three is, do you want to be used by God? And number four, do you want to grow in your faith? So, just thinking through those four questions, hopefully at least one of those in your head, you're thinking, yeah, I'd like to do that, or yeah, that'd be good. And if so, I believe that today's message will be for you. So let's get going here. And by the way, I asked the teens of our youth group here at Mosaic to help me out with the sermon. So um, they're going to introduce each point up on the screen. And so um, Elijah, if you want to play that first video clip, we'll hear number one. Uh, a characteristic of teens, and teens then we'll talk about... Teens are bold. Do you want to play that one more time? As I was talking. Teens are bold. All right, teens are bold. Have you guys ever noticed that teens are bold? Teens tend to be confident, courageous, daring. They're not afraid to take risks. They're willing to put themselves out there. They have this optimism. They feel like... The world is their uh, oyster, you know, whatever that means. They think that they can do pretty much anything that they want to do. They think maybe they're going to be the next major league baseball star. Or someday they're going to be an astronaut or they're going to be president or, you know, a YouTube star or whatever. They're not afraid to try new things and they have this confidence. And, okay, I wanted to share the story. Back in high school, one of my best friends, his name was Tim. His name still is Tim. Um, he's still one of my best friends. I think we have a picture of him. Elijah, if you want to put this up. This was my friend Tim. This is a, a restaurant in Maple Grove, and this is Tim and I hanging out. And Tim is standing on the table at the restaurant. And this was typical Tim. But, you know, teens are bold. They do wacky stuff. And I remember once in high school, over at, anyone here ever been to Buka? Buka in Maple Grove? Okay, having dinner over at Buka, bunch of friends. And we're just teenagers, and the server, she was in her, like, early to mid-30s. She comes up to our table, 
And she's like, hey guys, is there anything else I can get you? It's, it's like the very end of the meal. And Tim says, yeah, your phone number. And she responded with something like, do you think your mom would be okay with that? And then she's like, how old are you anyway? And the funny part is, Tim actually got her phone number. She wrote down her phone number. And he's a teenager. She was like twice his age. And if you're feeling creeped out, I'll just tell you, right after that, he threw away the number when he left. He didn't actually give her a call, you know, because that would have been a little bit weird. He didn't know what to do with it. But <laughs> the, the fact is, teens, teens are bold. And when it comes to our Christian walk, I believe that many of us, we want to be bold. We want to live bold lives for God. If we go to uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, we're going to see in verses 26 and 27, um, it's talking here about Saul. If you heard of Saul, Saul persecuted the Christians before Saul started following Jesus, before he encountered Jesus. He was persecuting Christians, and so he was arresting them. He was having them dragged off to prison. Um, some of them were killed. He personally could have, you know, possibly killed some of these Christians. And so what we see here, I'm going to read this scripture, and then I'll talk about it. It says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, this is Saul, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So we have the Jerusalem assembly here, and Saul is standing in front of him, and he wants to become a part of the Christian community. And Everyone is standing up. They're like, we don't want you to be a part of this. You know, I'm sure some of them personally maybe had family members or friends they knew that Saul had persecuted. They didn't trust him. They didn't like him. They didn't know was his conversion real. Uh, but Barnabas steps out and he vouches for Saul. And he says, we should give him a chance. He says, I believe his story. And so Saul became a part of the community and Saul ended up becoming this, this dynamic leader, this growing believer who, uh, as you know, his name eventually was changed to Paul. He wrote basically half of the New Testament. And I want that boldness of Barnabas. And like I said, a lot of us want to live boldly. Sometimes, though, we feel like we hit this invisible wall and we don't know why. We want to be bold, but there's something that's holding us back. And I think that we need to recognize that um, there can be a spiritual component. There's, there's spiritual warfare going on, and sometimes that's what holds us back. There's a verse I wanted to read to you. It's, it's in uh, Galatians 5.17. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So not to, you know, look under every couch cushion for a demon or anything like that, but we do need to recognize there is a spiritual war going on, and that can very well be what's keeping us from living bold lives. Anyone here ever heard of someone named Sundar Singh? It's a name I had never heard of till recent. Sundar Singh. Sundar grew up in northern India in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And Sundar, as a little boy, he was six or seven years old, he heard about Jesus, he started following Jesus, he told his friends about Jesus, and uh, the families of his friends didn't really like that they were following Jesus. His friends got baptized, the families killed his friends after they got baptized. Um, Sundar's family, just as this little boy, seven years old, his family tried to kill him too. They poisoned him, they kicked him out of the house, they disowned him. But Sundar, he stayed bold in his faith. He didn't die by a miracle, he didn't die. And Sundar just really wanted to tell everyone that he saw about this Jesus. And so as Sundar became a teenager, he would go out into the countryside and Sundar would tell everyone that he saw about Jesus. And then God put it on Sundar's heart to go to Tibet. 
Sundar wanted to talk to the people of Tibet and share Jesus with them. And there's this mountain range called the Himalayan Mountains. And Sundar, who was barefoot, this just blows my mind, barefoot, he would trek up through the snowy Himalayan Mountains to the other side. He'd go down into Tibet as a teenager, and he would walk through the villages and tell people about Jesus. And the story that I wanted to share with you here is that one day, Sundar was in this village, and he was arrested uh, for talking about Jesus. He was preaching about Jesus, and they arrested him, and they sentenced him to death. And they threw him down this deep well. They put a cover over the top of the well. They locked it. He's in the bottom of this well. It's dark. There's, not to get too graphic, but there is like decomposing bodies down there of other people who had already been killed and sentenced to death. He's down in this dark well. He can't see a thing for three days. And after three days, one night, he's close to death. He hasn't had food or water. He, he can hear something, and he sees the cover of the well up above. He can see the stars because he sees that this cover's being moved over it. Someone unlocked it, and it gets moved over. And a rope comes down, and he ties the rope. He's able to tie it around himself. He gets lifted out of the well, gets to the top, looks around. There's no one up there. He's like, okay, God just saved me. This is a miracle. It's nighttime, so Sundar is able to sneak out of the village. He gets out to the countryside, and then this is what just blew my mind. Sundar stops and he thinks, what if I were to go back to that village where all those people think I'm dead? They think I'm in the bottom of that well. What if I went back to that same village tomorrow and started preaching about Jesus again? So he turns around, goes back to that same village. The next day when the sun comes up, he's in the marketplace telling everyone about Jesus. I want that boldness. And if you want to live boldly for Jesus, I have three quick recommendations for you. One would be to get into your Bibles and read stories in the Bible of heroes in the Bible. Because when you read stories of men and women and youth, teens, even kids in the Bible, um, it inspires you to live more boldly. Uh, number two, I'd encourage you to read biographies of missionaries like Sundar. I had never heard of Sundar. My daughter Maria actually read the story of Sundar. She read the book and she's like, Dad, you got to read this. So I read it. Um, it was a quick, easy read, but I've become more bold in my faith since reading that book. So I'd encourage you, read those biographies of missionaries. Number three, just pray and ask God for boldness and ask God for opportunities to be bold. And God will help you with that and he will give you those opportunities. Okay, number two. Number two thing that we can learn from teens. Eli, if you want to play the video. Teens are hungry. <laughs> teens are hungry. Anyone here have a teenager or have you had a teenager? All right, so you know, and most of us know, teens are vacuums when it comes to food. Like, they just inhale food. And maybe some of you have had this experience. You know, you go grocery shopping, go to Costco, get home, you stock up the pantry in the refrigerator, and the next day, you walk into the kitchen, you open up the pantry, and you're like, oh no, someone broke into my house. They stole all our food. What's going on? And then you realize, oh wait, I have a, I have a teenager. The teenager got to the food. Um, Teenagers love food. There's not much more to be said than that. I've noticed that through the years. Teens love food. We have something called discipleship before youth group each week, and we have home-cooked meals. And some of these teens, like usually I'll eat, you know, one little plate of food, and these teens, some of them, and some of the smallest teens, they'll eat like four plates of food. It's, it's impressive. Um, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. And the point that I want to make is just as teens crave food and they're hungry for food and they constantly want to ingest that food, we should be hungry for God's word. 
at minimum, we should want to want to be hungry for God's word. But again, that can be a struggle for us. And it's important to read God's word for so many reasons, and I'm not gonna get into all of them, but as we read God's word, it changes us. It, you know, our heart, our mind comes in line with God's heart as we read the Bible. We should be hungry to read God's word. And I have a, a piece of advice for you. If you're not hungry for God's word, if you're not reading the Bible, if it's a struggle, this is a short piece of advice, but I'd say to eat until you're hungry, okay? Eat until you're hungry. And I'm gonna explain a little more about this. When I was a teenager, in my youth group, one of my favorite things that we do each year, three times a year, we'd all hop into a bus, because we had a big youth group, and we'd ride over to Godfather's Pizza. I remember, it was always on a Monday night. We'd go to Godfather's Pizza for their all-you-can-eat buffet, and we would just eat and eat and eat as much pizza as we could. And I remember one day I got this idea, and I'm like, you know, if I were to not eat, if I were to starve myself all day and not eat any food, not drink any soda or milk, just drink water, I bet I'll be extra hungry because my stomach's going to be empty when I get to Godfather's. And so I tried that. And I got to Godfather's that night after fasting all day. And I remember I ate like two pieces of pizza, and then I was stuffed. I'm like, this is really weird. What's going on? And uh, I was a little bit upset. So... A few months after that, I'm like, I'm going to try this again. I must not have done it right. So I didn't eat any food all day. And we're riding the bus to Godfather's Pizza, and I'm telling my friends, I'm saying, hey, guys, this is what I did today. I'm going to eat more pizza than all of you, you know? So we get to Godfather's. I ate three pieces of pizza, and I was stuffed. And I was, like, angry. And one of the older teens, wiser teens, he came up alongside me. I think I remember him putting his arm around me, and he's like, hey, I overheard what you were saying to the other guys this is the deal. When you don't eat, your stomach actually shrinks. And so then you can't eat much food and you lose that appetite. He said, what you got to do is you got to eat food all day. And as you eat, you're going to keep your stomach expanded. It's going to be open and you're going to be able to eat a lot more pizza. And so the next time around, that's what I did. And it was mind blowing. I, I was able to eat more pizza than I ever ate before. And that, that teenager, I have him to thank. He was, you know, wise beyond his years. But with the Bible, we need to eat until we're hungry. So if you're not reading the Bible, I'd recommend, don't feel like you need to start with an hour a day, you know? Just a minute a day. Just open up the Bible. Just read a few verses. And as you do that, it might be a week. It might be a month. But over time, you're going to expand that appetite that you have for God's word. And it'll change you the more that you read God's word. Chick-fil-A, uh, 24 years ago, came out with this slogan. Uh, maybe you know it. They still use it today. Um, you know, eat more chicken. And I, for, for the Bible, you know, I'd say eat more Bible or read more Bible if you want to expand your appetite for it. Okay, so that's point number two. Teens are hungry. We have two more points here. Number three, Eli, go ahead. Teens are available. I can see they're really excited there for that, for that video clip. Teens are available. Um, working with youth groups, working with teens, I've seen through the years that when you ask for a volunteer, almost always the majority of the hands in the room will go up. And you say, hey, guys, I need a volunteer for something. And the funny part is they don't even know what they're volunteering for. They just say, hey, I'll do it. And it hasn't been the same experience for me with adults. We usually aren't as eager to volunteer to do stuff. And just to kind of brag on the teens that we have here at Mosaic, I mean, at Mosaic, like teens literally, not literally, but close to literally, fight over being able to volunteer in the kids' rooms. 
Um, they want to serve. They want to volunteer. And there's different reasons maybe why teens tend to be more available than adults or willing to volunteer, but it has to do with availability. I believe it has to do with availability because if you take your average teen and you take your average adult, stand them side by side and look at their calendars, the average adult's schedule is going to be way more packed than the average teen. Adults, we just pack our schedules. Like, we just don't have a lot of extra room to do other things when opportunities come along. And I asked earlier, do you want to be used by God? And I believe that this whole concept of availability is important here because if we want to be used by God, God looks for availability. And I used to have this idea in my head that God looks for talent. And I don't believe that's true. Look in the Bible and you'll see God looks for availability. He looks for availability over ability. I mean, my greatest asset, I believe, is puns. And I've been doing ministry, full-time ministry, for the past three years, you know. And God, I, I just, I made myself available. And that's what God looks for. And we also tend to get this idea in our heads that, that it's, it's almost this myth that, you know, we want to be used for big things by God. And so we get this idea that we're just going to go along and then one day, all of a sudden, boom, we're going to be like the next Billy Graham. Or, you know, to do, to do ministry, we're going to have to do something huge. You know, have to be the next Mother Teresa. And that's not the case. God looks for faithfulness. He wants to see in the day in and day out with the little things that he gives us that we can be faithful. So I want to challenge you guys to make yourselves more available. Let's look at, uh, really quick here, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, and he being Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. And so we see here, we see Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and what are they doing? They're out in the water with what? What do they have? Their nets, right? They're working with their nets. They're earning a living. They're doing their jobs. And Jesus calls them. And these guys end up changing the world, turning the world upside down. But it didn't happen immediately. Again, it wasn't this big thing that happened immediately. They had to make themselves available before God began to use them. They had to drop their nets. And I was thinking about this. Like, what are the nets in our life that we have? What are the things that we're doing, you know, that maybe we need to let go of or we need to put down? Because Jesus is saying, come on, follow me. I've got some stuff for you, you know. We, let's go do this. But we don't want to let go of that net. These guys were willing to let go of the nets and make themselves available. So that's number three, talking about availability. We need to make ourselves available. What are the nets that we need to let go of? And then, Elijah, go ahead, play number four here. Teens are impulsive. Now, I, uh, I filmed Cade there. Cade, you know, he's a part of our youth group. I thought later it's kind of funny. Cade's probably one of the least impulsive kids in the youth group, and he's the one that said teens are impulsive. Um, but yes, teens are impulsive, which can be similar to boldness in some ways. Um, teens are just, they're impulsive. And 
you know, psych, uh, developmental psychologists, they say it has to do with the front of the brain. It's not fully developed. And so that's the part of the brain that helps us kind of think through, like, if I do this, this might happen through actions and consequences. Um, teens don't quite have that. I think it's maybe until the age of 25 is when it's supposedly fully developed. Um, so teens can be impulsive. Last 4th of July, last year, there was a teenager down in Arkansas, and he wanted to go to some hip-hop show in Chicago, and he didn't know how to do it. So, without really thinking things through, he biked down to the airport, he threw his bike in a ditch, he climbed the chain-link fence, he ran out onto the runway, climbed up into a plane, into the cockpit, and tried to take off. He, he, uh, luckily, the police arrested him before he was able to get the plane going. And he told police later, he said, I thought it was a matter of just pushing buttons and pulling levers. I thought it'd be easy. Luckily, they stopped him. But that's a great example of how teens can be impulsive. And impulsivity can definitely be a bad thing, especially with teenagers. But I really think that this ties to us and our Christian walk. Because earlier I asked, do you want to live lives of faith? Do you want to live a life of faith? And as adults, okay, that front part of our brain, you know, it's developed. And so we tend to overthink things. We tend to think things through and overthink and analyze. And so a lot of us, we want to be used by God. We want to live a life of faith. But then um, God tells us one day we're out and about and maybe we feel a nudge from God and he's saying, hey, you should go pray for that person. Or you're at work and you feel like God is saying, you should just go sit down and ask that coworker, how are they doing? Or, um, you know that person, you know that they don't have a church that they're plugged into, they don't have any friends, you should invite them to church. And we have this opportunity just to take this little baby step and step out in faith. But what happens is we then start to think and overthink. And we think, well, if I do this, this could happen. If I do this, maybe this will happen. And, and we psych ourselves out and we don't do it. And I believe that we need to become a little more impulsive with our faith. We need to be willing when we hear that gentle whisper from God, when we feel that nudge from God, we need to not listen to all those thoughts in the front of our head and just step out and do it. You know, faith, um, I've heard it described as a, as a muscle. And if we want to live lives of faith, we need to actually start using that muscle and use that faith. And as we do, we're going to build up that muscle. If you don't use that muscle, you know, muscles, if you don't use them, they, uh, is it atrophy, is that the word? They, they, uh, they become weaker, they become smaller. So we need to be a little more impulsive. And uh, I don't know, is the band going to be coming up when I finish here? Okay. So, yeah, in a minute, I'll have the band come up. Before they come up, though, while I was just kind of writing out this, this message, I was, um, I don't know what made me think of it, but I, I started thinking about, um, you know, my oldest son, Elijah, he's in the back. He's running the slides. He's going to be 16 in July. And he's going to be getting his driver's license. And it feels like it was just yesterday that he was just this, this chubby little guy, you know, before he could even walk. And I remember, like, when it got to that point where Christina and I knew that Elijah was at that point where he was ready to walk. You know, I remember, like it was yesterday, I remember sitting in the living room on that wooden floor. And I remember Christina sitting across the room. And I'm sitting here, and Elijah, he's standing up in front of me, his chubby little hands that are holding onto my, onto my thumbs. And Christina's across the room and she's like, okay, buddy, come on, you can do it. And he's kind of standing there. Elijah, you probably don't remember this, but I remember it. And he's standing there and it's like he's kind of almost lunging forward, like he's ready to go, but you know, he's not quite sure if he can do it. 
And he's probably thinking, if I do this, because he was a smart little guy, I can imagine him you know, thinking this. He's probably thinking, if I go, chances are I'm going to fall. I'm going to bruise my knee. Maybe he's going to bang his head. But for those of you in the room that have had little you know, babies or toddlers when they get to that point where they can walk, why is it that we want so bad, badly to see them walk you know, when it gets to that point? Because I remember it with Elijah, I remember it with Maria, my daughter, I remember it with Solomon, our youngest. They get to that point, and you just want them to walk. And, you know, it's, it's for a lot of reasons. But, you know, one of the reasons is we know that when they're crawling, that's kind of their world. But when they start to walk, like, it opens up a whole new world for them. You know, life gets really exciting. And it's that next step in their journey to them growing up and maturing and being a productive member of society, but we get excited, and the Bible says, you know, as parents, like, as human parents, we aren't going to give a, a, a rock or a snake to our kids when they ask for a gift. Um, inst- well, unless they like reptiles. Maybe we would, but it'd probably be a non-venomous snake. But we wouldn't give them something bad, and how much greater a father is God? You know, God gives us good things, and I believe that God wants us to step out he wants us to step out in faith. He, he knows that so many of us, we're ready to take that next step. And he's just saying, come on, you know, let, let go. You can, you can step out. I've got you. I know what I'm talking about here. And uh, so I want to challenge you guys. I want to invite the band up. And I want to challenge you guys. What is it that God's maybe calling you to do? What is it that you want to step out in faith and do? You know, just in the context of today's message, is, it, is, is God calling you to step out and start reading your Bible to de- develop that hunger for God's word. And to start reading, you know, a minute a day. Is God calling you to be more bold like Sundar, Singh, or like the heroes in the Bible? You know, is God calling you to be bold? Is God calling you to make yourselves more available? Is he asking you to take that net, that one thing that you're holding on to that's just eating up your time that you don't really need, that's blocking you from being used by God? Is God asking you to let go of that? You know, what's God calling you to do? That's my challenge for you. Um, and I just got to say, I appreciate the teens here at Mosaic the last 18 months uh, working with these teens. It's such an amazing group of teens. If you guys don't know the teens of Mosaic, I'd encourage you to get to know them because they really are amazing. Um, not just saying that because my kids are a part of the youth group. It really is a great group of teens. And uh, yeah, I just pray, my prayer for you guys is that you can take this to heart and that you can um, figure out some ways to step out, be more like teens, and, uh, and step out in your faith. And let me, I'm going to pray too. Um, dear Lord, once again, I just thank you. Um, thank you for this time that we had together. I thank you for the teens of this church, God. I, I uh, thank you for all the exciting things that you're doing in their lives. And I pray for the teens of Mosaic, God, that um, just moving forward, that you'll just continue to develop them and help them become the men and women that you want them to be. I pray for everyone else in this room, God, too. I pray, Lord, that um, you can just help each of us uh, become more like you, become more like you, Jesus, not because we're obligated, because we feel obligated, or because it's a chore, but just out of an overflow, God, of the love that we have for you and um, just out of our appreciation, Jesus, for you and what you've done for us. And so um, we thank you for this morning. And uh, pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.